Boy, do we have updates. New Twitter files, updates on Ukraine and how badly did Republicans in Congress help the Democrats steamroll us? It's all coming up in the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 309 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Sunday, December 25th, 2022, Christmas Day, the day we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, we want to get right into the latest edition of the Twitter Files. And this came out over the Christmas weekend. Matt Taibbi this time. The Twitter files, Twitter and other government agencies. He says, after weeks of Twitter files reports, the FBI issued a statement on Wednesday. Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. The FBI did not refute allegations. Instead, it decried what it calls conspiracy theorists publishing what it calls misinformation, whose sole aim, so they say, is to discredit the agency. To discredit the agency. Here's a quote from the FBI. The men and women of the FBI work every day to protect the American public. It is unfortunate that conspiracy, conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. To which Matt Taibbi says, they must think us unambitious if our sole aim is to discredit the FBI. After all, a whole range of government agencies discredit themselves in the Twitter files. Why stop with one? The files show the FBI acting as doorman to a vast program of social media surveillance and censorship encompassing agencies across the federal government, from the State Department to the Pentagon to the CIA. The operation is far bigger than the reported 80 members of FITF, the Foreign Influence Task Force, which also facilitates requests from a wide array of smaller actors from local cops to media to state government. 
thousands upon thousands of official reports flowed through the Foreign Influence Task Force, the FITF, and the FBI's San Francisco field office. On June 29, 2020, San Francisco FBI agent Elvis Chan, remember we've talked about him on previous episodes, wrote to a pair of Twitter executives asking if he could invite an OGA to an upcoming NGO, non-governmental organization-sponsored conference. Now, just, just, just in case you think that OGA is stands for an association of original gangsters, no, 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 no. No, we're going to break this down for you. So FBI agent Elvis Chan writes to uh, Stacia Cardell, one of the executives at Twitter and some other executive that is redacted, Monday, June 29th, 2020, 11.24 a.m. Pacific time from the San Francisco FBI field office. And he says, I wanted to follow up to see if I could forward this invitation to an OGA, specifically the people from Redacted's former employer were inquiring. Hope all is well. Thanks. Regards, Elvis M. Chan, Supervisory Special Agent, FBI Field Office, San Francisco. Now, OGA stands for Other Government Organization. It's often a euphemism for CIA and according to multiple former intelligence officials and contractors. That's what they say it often is. One of them actually chuckled to Matt Taibbi saying they use it to seem mysterious to outsiders. Retired CIA officer Ray McGovern said other government agency, not organization, but agency, OGA, other government agency, the place where I worked for 27 years, CIA. It was an open secret at Twitter that one of its executives, one of Twitter's executives, was ex-CIA, which is why Elvis Chan referred to that executive's former employer. The first Twitter executive abandons all pretense to stealth and emails that the employee used to work for the CIA, so that is Elvis's question. That's Stacia Cardiel who in her email, same day, says, I know, let me see if it is publicly announced, and I will tell him that. I thought my silence was understood. She is senior legal executive at Twitter, or at least was, and she had good operational security by Twitter standards. She replied, I know, I thought my silence was understood. So here's the screenshot from her email to Jim Baker, former FBI chief counsel. It says, Sunlight Conference tomorrow, no need for you to attend. Carnegie is doing the heavy lift. I offered to assist Nick and Yoel, but there are no academic papers to review or anything. I was involved in the early scoping of the joint project as well. I invited the FBI, and I believe that the CIA will virtually attend too. Please let me know if you have any questions. Thanks, Stacia. So Cardill then passes on conference details to recently hired ex-FBI lawyer Jim Baker. She's like, I invited the FBI and the CIA virtually will attend too. No need for you to attend. 
So Matt Taibbi continues here. The government was in constant contact, not just with Twitter, but with virtually every major tech firm. These included Facebook, Microsoft, Verizon, Reddit, even Pinterest, and many others. One of the most common forums was a regular meeting of the multi-agency foreign intelligence, pardon me, foreign influence task force, FITF, attended by spates of executives, FBI personnel, and nearly always one or two attendees marked OGA. In other words, CIA. And he's got a screenshot here. August 14th, 2020, from Elvis Chan, Supervisory Special Agent, FBI San Francisco Field Office, about a an F, FITF meeting with Twitter. He says, all, please forward to whomever you deem appropriate. Agenda. Russia status. IRA update. OGA briefing. APT 28 update. Then... China status, PRC update, of course, standing for People's Republic of China, APT 31 briefing. Then global status, Iran update, Venezuela briefing, North Korea briefing. Okay, why are a number of different agencies in the intelligence community of our government, FBI, CIA, who knows who else, giving social media Briefings, presumably, including confidential government intel on Iran, Venezuela, and North Korea. Got any idea? Because I don't. Next on the email, planning for the elections. FBI posture, your posture. Oh, yeah. Because they're all in it together, right? The FITF meeting agendas virtually always included at or near the beginning an OGA briefing, usually about foreign matters. Now, hold that thought. Don't forget that, okay? So, another email screenshot here from July 16th, 2020, Elvis Chan to... Stacia Cardill at Twitter, also Yoel Roth, and uh, somebody who's redacted here. It says, Hi, Stacia. I know it's bananas right now over there, but I'm wondering if we can get something on the calendar for the next round of FITF meetings. Here are the open dates slash times which are left. And so he's got different times and different days in the middle of August. He says the tentative agenda is as follows. Russia status, IRA update, OGA briefing, software and influence campaign against Ukraine. China status, he goes on with the global status, again with the Iran, Venezuela, North Korea. Planning for U.S. elections, FBI posture, your posture, information sharing channels and methods regards Elvis M. Chance, supervisor, special agent. Why does the FBI think Twitter needs to be planning for the election? Anyway, Matt Taibbi says, despite its official remit being foreign influence, 
the FITF and the San Francisco FBI office become uh, became a conduit for mountains of domestic moderation requests. Not foreign, but domestic. From state governments, even from local police. Uh, another email, November 5th, 2020. That had been three days before election day. From Elvis Chan to Stacia Cardill and somebody else redacted at Twitter. Hi, Stacia. FBI Minneapolis requested that I put you in touch with Lieutenant Hoff about some recent activities which I've provided below. I'll let the two of you take it from here. Thanks. And he sent uh, links to a couple of tweets from somebody. T.C. Park responder, whoever that is. And he also includes Lieutenant John Hoff, Strategic Information Center, Minneapolis Police Department, on the email. Now, Matt Taibbi says, Many requests arrived via the Teleporter app, a one-way platform in which many communications were timed to vanish. Especially as the election approached in 2020, the FITF, FBI overwhelmed Twitter with requests sending spreadsheets with hundreds of accounts. Oh, my goodness. And he's got a screenshot of a bunch of them, but they're like halfway redacted. See another screenshot, November 3rd, 2020, from Stacia Cardill to somebody's redacted. It says, the FBI San Francisco Emergency Operations Center sent us the attached report of 207 tweets they believe may be in violation of our policies. Spreadsheet attached. Thank you, Stacia. Now, email after email came from the FBI San Francisco office heading into the election, often adorned with an Excel attachment. Here's another one. It says, hi, Stacia. Our FBI Baltimore identified these Twitter handles and tweets which appear to provide misleading information on time, place, or manner of voting in the upcoming elections. We believe these may violate your terms of service and wanted to bring them to your attention. We would appreciate any feedback you have regarding this matter. Thanks. Regards, Elvis. And there's an Excel attached. Matt Taibbi says there were so many Government requests, Twitter employees had to improvise a system for prioritizing uh, or, or triaging them. So Stacia Cardill has an email to Redacted. Says, hi, hope you are both well. I want to reach out about election-related escalations. As you know, with the adoption of the Unified Escalation Tool and the deprecation of the Go slash election escalations. We have been sending all elections related requests directly to get support for review. We're having some issues with the backlog impacting our elections efforts. The folks on this email represent the DC public policy, legal, and communications teams working on elections. Generally, we are the ones. Escalating the high-priority content, whether it's high-profile or coming directly from governmental partners, specifically, public policy and I escalate reports from the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, 
and state elections officials or the Election Integrity Project run by Alex Stamos. Communications escalates a lot of content tied to press inquiries about election issues. Is there some way we can figure out an accommodation to prioritize the reports we escalate, particularly in light of the deprecation of go-slash-election escalations? Although every tweep is valued, I believe it is likely that our reports are the most credible and most urgent, at least for the next week. Really appreciate any assistance or guidance you can provide. Thanks, Stacia. Matt Taibbi says the FBI was clearly tailoring searches to Twitter's policies. FBI requests were almost always phrased as possible terms of service violations somewhere, even in the subject line. And he's got a screenshot of the subject line of an email from Elvis Chan, forward possible terms of service violation Twitter. So Twitter executives noticed that the FBI appeared to be assigning their own personnel to look for Twitter violations. See, I would have thought maybe they could have done something like uh, busting uh, the serial pedophile Dr. Larry Nasser, you know, who abused all those uh, uh, female uh, Olympic gymnasts. Maybe, maybe, maybe they could have taken care of him earlier. Or done something to stop the cartels from getting fentanyl across the border. Um, I don't know. Maybe referred criminal charges for Hunter Biden. <laughs> I know, I know, that's silly. They're the palace guard. But no, no. They actually had FBI personnel on company time, on the clock, getting paid by your tax dollars, combing through Twitter for terms of service violations. You believe this? So, top legal executive of Twitter, Stacia Cardill, said they have some folks in the Baltimore field office and at headquarters that are just doing keyword searches for violations. Talking about the FBI. She says, this is probably the 10th request I have dealt with in the last five days, but I never typically include a huge distribution on it because there wasn't really a need for this kind of visibility. Let me know if you have any other questions. Now, even ex-FBI lawyer Jim Baker agreed. They got a screenshot of an email from him here saying, odd that they are searching for violations of our policies. Now, again, Jim Baker might be one of those guys who's sheep Devin. They say former FBI Employee, how, how do we know for sure that he's not still getting paid by the FBI? So Matt Taibbi says, although so much of this activity was domestic, foreign meddling had, be, had been the ostensible justification for expanded moderation since platforms like Twitter were dragged to the hill by the Senate in 2017, and he's got a screenshot here from the New York Times. Tech executives are contrite about election meddling, but make few promises on Capitol Hill from 2017. Matt Taibbi says, yet behind the scenes, Twitter executives struggled against government claims of foreign interference on their platform and others. The Twitter files show executives 
under constant pressure to validate theories of foreign influence, even though they are unable to find evidence for key assertions of foreign influence on Twitter. One analyst said, found no links to Russia, but he suggests he could brainstorm to try to find a stronger connection. Now, you know what this reminds me of? There was a guy, he was the head of uh, Joseph Stalin's secret police. Stalin was a dictator of the Soviet Union. A guy named Lavrenti Berea. And he had this, uh, this power until Stalin died, and then he wasn't long for the world after it, but he was a minister of internal affairs uh, from 1938 to 1953, and he had a famous saying, show me the man, and I will show the crime. In other words, we're going to take out who we want to take out, and we'll uh, we'll make up a crime. That seems to be what the FBI is trying to do to Twitter. Yeah, we don't need evidence. Just, you know, just tell us that Russia is, you know, trying to sway the election in 2020 by using Twitter. Which, by the way, is a platform that an overwhelming majority of Americans is not on. So, anyway, another Twitter analyst says... Extremely tenuous circumstantial chance of being related. Former Trust and Safety Chief Yoel Roth, in another case, said no real matches using the info. He noted that some links were clearly Russian, but another was a house rental in South Carolina. In another case, Yoel Roth concludes a series of Venezuelan Pro-Maduro accounts are unrelated to Russia's Internet Research Agency, the IRA, because they're too high volume. So extremely high volume tweeters, that's uncharacteristic of a lot of the other activity of Russia's Internet Research Agencies, not how they operate. Matt Taibbi says the Venezuelans were extremely high volume tweeters pretty uncharacteristic of a lot of the other IRA activity, quoting Yoel Ruff. In a key email, news that the State Department is making a wobbly public assertion of Russian influence leads one executive, the same one with the past and an OGA, in other words, CIA, to make a damning admission. He says, due to a lack of technical evidence on our end, I've generally left it be waiting for more evidence. Our window on that is closing, given that government partners are becoming more aggressive on attribution. Oh, my goodness. Matt Taibbi says, Translation, the more aggressive government partners had closed Twitter's window of independence. You see? Other government agencies, slang for CIA, ended up sharing intelligence through the FBI and the FITF, not just with Twitter, 
But with Yahoo, Twitch, Cloudflare, LinkedIn, even Wikimedia. He's got screenshots of all this stuff. CIA whistleblower John Kiriakou believes these reports found in the Twitter files are written by his former agency. He says, looks right on to me, noting that what was cut off above the tear line was the originating CIA office and all the copied offices. These reports are far more factually controversial than domestic counterparts. One Intel report lists accounts tied to Ukraine neo-Nazi propaganda. This includes assertions that Joe Biden helped orchestrate a coup in 2014 and put his son on the board of Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company, which, uh, by the way, he did. And big screenshot on that stuff. Matt Taibbi says, another report asserts a list of accounts accusing the Biden administration of corruption in vaccine distribution are part of a Russian influence campaign. Really? So Americans that tweet saying that the Biden administration was corrupt in its vaccine distribution program, they're under the influence of Putin, according to the FBI, CIA, and who knows who else. Matt Taibbi continues, Often, intelligence comes in the form of brief reports, followed by long lists of accounts, deemed to be pro-Maduro, pro-Cuba, pro-Russia, etc. And then he's got a screenshot of a batch containing over a 1,000 accounts sentenced to the digital beyond. A bunch of accounts are going to, uh, you know, take off Twitter forever. One report says a site documenting purported rights abuses committed by Ukrainians is directed by Russian agents. Intel about the origin of these accounts might be true, but so might the information in them. In other words, about neo-Nazis in Ukrainian militias or about the Ukrainian government abusing the rights of people in, in the Donbass region. So this is a difficult speech dilemma. Should the government be allowed to try to prevent Americans and others from seeing pro-Maduro or anti-Ukrainian accounts? Often, Intel reports are just long lists of newspapers, tweets, or YouTube videos guilty of, quote, anti-Ukraine narratives, unquote. And a lot more screenshots with a bunch of YouTube addresses and Twitter accounts. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes Twitter and YouTube blocked the accounts. But now we know for sure what Yoel Roth meant by the Bureau and by extension the intelligence community, the IC. And here is a screenshot of an email from Yoel Roth that says, Privileged and confidential. Hi, team. The questions we received are attached. I'm frankly perplexed by the requests here, which seem more like something we get from a congressional committee than the Bureau. There's a big discussion to be had about state-controlled media, which will be impacted by the label launched later this month, but I'm not particularly comfortable with the Bureau, and by extension the intelligence community, the IC, demanding written answers here. 
What's your perspective on how best to navigate? Thanks, Yoel. So Matt Taibbi says, the line between misinformation and distorting propaganda is thin. Are we comfortable with so many companies receiving so many reports from a more aggressive government? He says the CIA declined to comment on the nature of its relationship to tech companies like Twitter, but continue to watch Barry Weiss, Michael Schellenberger, Lee Fong, and this space, Matt Taibbi, for more on issues ranging from COVID-19 to Twitter's relationship to Congress and a lot more. So this dropped over the Christmas weekend. I'm thinking the majority of people listening either live or after the fact to the Doc Washburn show probably missed it. So it's certainly my duty to share it with you and, and, and also my duty to share some insights about it, some thoughts about that, and for that matter, bulletins about Ukraine, the Wu flu, China virus, how badly Republicans in Congress help the Democrats steamroll us. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Let me just remind you, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, they have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door anywhere in the continental USA, no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com, you will be glad you did. Hey, we're so excited to have Mike Lindell and MyPillow as sponsors of the Doc Washburn Show. My wife and I just love sleeping on our Giza Dream bed sheets. I'm wearing my brand new My Slippers moccasins. I had no idea slippers could feel this good. Now, I, I don't know if Mike wants me saying this or not, but uh, how much trouble could I get in saying something nice about the My Slippers moccasins? So Thursday afternoon, I had to do a little bit of grocery shopping, and it was like 15 degrees. And I was wearing my My Slippers moccasins with no socks 
and my feet didn't get cold. I mean, there was like a fraction of an inch of cold right at the bottom of my pants, right above the ankles, which I hardly even noticed, but my feet themselves did not get cold wearing my slippers, moccasins, out in the 15-degree weather. And plus, they, they just feel great, whether you're, you know, because I'd heard people wear them all over the place, not just at the house. That I didn't, like I said, I had no idea that moccasins could feel that, that good. Also, we love our My Pillow towel set. They are so luxurious. And let me tell you something. My pillows guaranteed to be the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. Mike Lindell also has all kinds of great deals on automotive products, bath and beauty, books and video, clothing, decor items, food and drink, garden and patio, health, home improvement, household essentials, kitchen and dining, personal care, sports and outdoors, toys and games, and so much more over at his new website, mystore.com. Right now, you can save up to 50% on Giza Dream Sheet sets. Get them as, for as little as twenty nine ninety nine by using the promo code DWS. Save up to $90 on my slippers, slip-ons, or moccasins. Either way, mark down to just forty nine ninety eight by using promo code DWS. And right now... Get a six-piece my pillow towel set for only forty-four ninety-eight, just by using promo code DWS. Now we are honored to be affiliated with a great American patriot like Mike Lindell. Now some of Mike's items during this holiday period are marked down up to eighty percent off if you make sure to use promo code DWS. Now remember. DWS does not stand for Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, 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 no. DWS stands for Doc Washburn Show. Kind of has a ring to it, you know. MyPillow.com and MyStore.com. You got to love them. Got to love them. So we got the FBI. We got the CIA. We got Homeland Security. We got all these different places that are basically running roughshod over big tech, right? And that's outrageous. And there's some things I want to say about that because. You know, all those guys, the 18 United States Senators, Republicans, who joined in with the Democrats, they voted to give the FBI and the CIA and Homeland Security more money, more money, more money. You know what I'm saying? Now, to me, that's outrageous. Mantaibi on his Substack page has the article called 
Twitter files thread, the spies who loved Twitter. And he said over the weekend, it was so obvious the FBI was assigning personnel specifically to look for Twitter term of service violations and effort funded by taxes, by the way, instead of fighting crime, which they should have been doing, that two of the company's top lawyers wondered what was going on. And he's got screenshots of a couple of lawyers for Twitter saying, hey, how come they're spending time on the clock looking for Twitter terms of service violations? Another point about the Twitter files, the latest Twitter files I just read to you, Matt Taibbi said, you know, you got a top Twitter staffer admitting the government's aggressive demands for validation of foreign influence theories could no longer be resisted. He said, our window on independence is closing. You get it? So, Ted Lieu, L-I-E-U, tragically hip, far-left progressive Democrat congressman from California, said, Elon Musk, Matt Taibbi, and Michael Schellenberger are gaslighting you with their misleading Twitter files posts. Here's the truth. One, FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force does threat indicator sharing with companies. That's a good thing. Two, companies decide what to do with that information. Now, Matt Taibbi responded, Congressman, why is a Foreign Influence Task Force sending Excel spreadsheets full of joke tweets from low-follower accounts in Maryland, Kentucky, and Ohio. Why does the Foreign Influence Task Force spend so much time reviewing domestic speech? I think it's a good question. Now, Matt Taibbi also says, in kind of an, an update, He says, a note on left and right in the Twitter files. Mainstream outlets try to grind every news story into grade D partisan hamburger. And Twitter files coverage is no exception. The Washington Post even called me a conservative journalist for a few minutes. Yeah, they called Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss conservative journalists. And they're not. They're liberals. But they're going where the truth takes them in this. He says, this is not a left-wing or right-wing project. The question that interests me, how these companies have been absorbed as intelligence arms is more future-slash-dystopia than blue or red. But that story is hard to sell, so we're getting the usual stupidity. Still, well-meaning people have questions. He says, obviously, I know voices on the left have been moderated a lot because I've been interviewing them for years. And he's got a uh, a link to an article he did two years ago, December 23rd, 2020, Meet the Censored, Olivia Catby Smith, an activist for the Democrat Socialists for America, tells of a cycle of bans. So he's got that. Well, see, the problem a lot of times with socialists is they're trying to bring down our government. But anyway, the point he's making is, you know, this is not a left or right thing. He says, but we're all trying to triage time, and instead of looking up 
individual accounts, most of us have been looking at broader search terms to start, like FBI, COVID, DHS, etc. Now, when he says us, he's talking about himself, Matt Taibbi, also Michael Schellenberger, Barry Weiss, um, who was the other one? Uh, uh, Lee Yang, or Young, as the case may be. He says, I did look up accounts connected to Julian Assange. His PV2 page doesn't show anything unusual, just automated suspensions of an abandoned account, and I found no record of, say, a government-initiated action. He says, that doesn't mean such intervention doesn't exist. It may be in a Slack channel or an email somewhere. It's a big haystack we're going through. We'll keep looking. He says, a few actions hit both Republicans and Democrats. Some FBI offices were clearly running searches of November 4 to catch people trying to trick others into not voting. And this snared both Biden and Trump voters in silly numbers. Okay, I I, I apologize. I, I think I got the wrong date earlier. I think November 3rd was Election Day. 2020, November 8th, 2022. Anyway, Matt Tybee continues, there are interesting slash ambiguous details, like a decision we found in which the company considered restricting all moderation decisions involving Biden or Trump to four senior executives. He's got a screenshot of that. But Twitter did have a clear political monoculture. I ran searches for both RNC and DNC, cross-referenced against senior executives. RNC turned up pages about Republicans suing the company. DNC returned mountains of insistent moderation of of demands. Some of the latter were quite funny and revealing. In multiple instances, Twitter initially decided not to remove videos lampooning Joe Biden because there are obvious parodies unlikely to cause offline harm or generate confusion. These included a, quote, deceptively edited, unquote, video of Biden coughing and a Todos con Biden uh, Trump spoof. Usually Twitter was responding to complaints from one very voluble DNC staffer and still applied warning labels to such content. In one case, they refused to do either. Twitter told the DNC staffer, because the video is an unaltered excerpt of the vice president's speech, our teams consider it to be out of context but not deceptive, to which the DNC staffer fumed, these rules need revision. In the process, they sent a graph of their bizarre moderation flowchart, which, among other things, showed they can still apply labels to non-deceptive material. This seemed more interesting than the fate of a Biden coughing mashup. Matt Taibbi says, if this kind of mechanized speech control can be used one way today, it can be used in another way tomorrow, especially if unseen enforcement officials are pushing on the levers. He says people will try to make the story about who did and did not benefit and argue this endlessly, but the utility of the project is showing everyone how the machine worked, which is what we're trying to do. 
That's fascinating. It's endlessly fascinating. By the way, Edward Snowden, guy who got in a lot of trouble with our government for uh, revealing some stuff years back, he responded to one of Matt, Matt Taibbi's tweets by saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The only solution is taking platforms out of the moderation game. The content layer of the Internet should be moved to neutral protocols. You should be the one who decides what you can read, not a company, not a government. <sighs> yeah, that's, uh, that's strong stuff. That is strong stuff. So we've got updates on Ukraine. We've got updates on COVID. We've got updates on how the Uniparty just ran right over us. Nine Republicans in the U.S. House voted with Democrats on that $1.7 trillion omnibus bill, that spending bill. Give more money to DOJ to prosecute more political prisoners from January 6th. Give more money to FBI. Give more money to CIA. Give more money to Homeland Security. Give more money to Border Patrol, but forbid them to use any of it to protect the border. Right? And the pe- again, this bears repeating. I'm going to tell you who in the House voted for it on the Republican ticket, on the Republican Party, because I haven't done that yet. But it bears repeating who the U.S. Senators are. Roy Blunt, Missouri, who's retiring. Can't do a thing to him. John Bozeman, Arkansas, who just got reelected a few weeks ago. So he's not up for re-election until 2028. And good luck anybody remembering what he just voted on, you know, if it matters to you. Oh, who knows? Maybe some people are in favor of increasing our, our long-term debt and getting to financial catastrophe sooner. Shelley Moore Capito, West Virginia, not up for re-election until 2026. Susan Collins of Maine, not up for re-election until 2026. John Cornyn, Texas, not up for re-election until 2026. Tom Cotton, Arkansas, not up for re-election until 2026. Lindsey Graham, South Carolina, not up for re-election until 2026. Am I starting to sound like a broken record here? Charles Grassley, Iowa, not up for re-election until 2028. Cindy Hyde-Smith, Mississippi, not up for re-election until 2026. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who much prefers being minority leader to being majority leader, not a free election until 2026. Jerry Moran, Kansas, not a free election until 2028. Lisa Murkowski, also uh, not a free election until 2028. She's a liberal Democrat who calls herself a Republican. She's from Alaska. Rob Portman, Ohio, retiring. Can't do a thing to him. Willard Mitt Romney. Actually, for re-election in 2024. But he represents Utah and he's Mormon. So would there be a serious primary challenger to Mitt Romney? I don't know how that works. 
Mike Rounds, South Dakota. Not up for election until 2026. Little Marco Rubio. Not up for election until 2028. Just got reelected a few weeks ago. Richard Shelby, Alabama. Retiring. Can't touch him. John Thune, South Dakota. Who apparently has eyes on being Mitch McConnell's successor. Not up for election until 2028. Tommy Tuberville, Alabama, not up for re-election until 2026. Roger Wicker, Mississippi, not up for re-election until 2024. That's a lot sooner than most of them. And last but not least, Senator Todd Young of Indiana, not up for re-election until 2028. Now, there were nine Republican members of the U.S. House that voted for this monstrosity also, almost $1.7 trillion of spending the overwhelming majority of which we don't need. And I'll tell you who they are in just a, just a moment. Look, it's a crazy world we live in. I've been telling you about how crazy it is with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, and woke corporations that stand against everything we believe in. Now, we all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic. While so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom and pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? And the corollary question is, what can we do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. SwitchToAmerica.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created, with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first, rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of Patriot influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow Patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big woke corporations that are trying to destroy our way of life. We are done with a woke globalist operation against humanity. Now, each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages for so many years. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. Switchtoamerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to switchtoamerica.com. When it asks how you heard about us, Click on my name, Doc Washburn, plug in your info, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. Switch to America.com. All right. I love sharing stuff with you that nobody else does, like the best kept secret in American healthcare. You having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo? Problems with your blood sugar, psoriasis, migraines, even? Well, the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you even if you're not in Arkansas. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, 
which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column could get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. Had pretty bad migraines, too. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, the migraines went away, and they've never come back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, dizziness, problems with your blood sugar, psoriasis, migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends, Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Why not call them to see if they can help you? That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside central Arkansas and you're thinking, man, I would like to find a doctor who could help me, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says find a doctor near you, and I sure hope you can. I'm always delighted to tell you about America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier, Patriot Mobile. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. Hey, I'll tell you one thing. I'm definitely saving money since I'm with Patriot Mobile. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is so easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. That's PatriotMobile.com or call them at 972-PATRIOT. Now, make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, my name, for free activation. Also, if you're a conservative-owned business, tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas, Patriot Mobile now offers competitive business plans to suit companies of any size. Switch to Patriot Mobile Business. Learn more at business.patriotmobile.com or call their 100% U.S.-based member services team at 469-FREEDOM. Use, use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. That's business.patreonmobile.com or 469freedom and promo code DOC, D-O-C. All right, now, I want to uh, remind you of something that Alexander Solzhenitsyn said many, many years ago. We know they're lying. They know they're lying. They know that we know they're lying. We know that they know 
that we know they are lying, and still they continue to lie. Ain't that the truth? And still they continue to lie. Now, several episodes ago, I shared with you some of the awful stuff that's in that omnibus bill that 18 Republican senators just voted for and nine Republican members of the U.S. House of Representatives. Now, I promise I would tell you after we shared our advertisers there who the nine Republican representatives in the U.S. House are. First of all, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois. In redistricting, he lost his district, so he retired. Next of all, Jamie Herrera Butler, Washington State, who was defeated in a primary. Next, Rodney Davis of Illinois, who was also defeated in a primary. Fred Upton of Michigan, who's been in the House a long time. He, he's retiring. So you, you can't touch any of these folks because they're leaving any, any day now. Matter of fact, the, the Christmas break, they might not ever go back. Uh, Chris Jacobs of New York retiring. John Katko of New York retiring. Liz Cheney of Wyoming. You know what happened to her. A woman named Harriet Hagman beat her in the Republican primary in Wyoming by 37.4%. So she's like, I'm untouchable. I don't have to do anything that my constituents want. So, yeah, let me jam $1.7 trillion bill down your throat. Now, that's seven of the nine Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives that voted for this monstrosity. But there are two that voted for it who were recently reelected. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. One of them is a guy named Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania. He's in district number one, Pennsylvania. And so he is, um, he's taking a big chance there, you know? I mean, he's not up for election for another two years. You realize every member of U.S. House of Representatives is up for re-election every two years. All of them are. They all have two-year terms. It's not like the senators that only have to run for election every six years. So, Brian Fitzpatrick, District 1, Pennsylvania, which is north and northwest of Philly, like suburbs north and northwest of Philly. He said, yeah, $1.7 trillion omnibus bill, all this bad stuff in it, sure, I'll vote for it. I'm a Republican, but... You know, who's going to remember, right? Now, the other guy who voted for it is a guy named Steve Womack. Now, U.S. Representative Steve Womack represents the 3rd District of Arkansas, which is... In Northwest Arkansas. I, I used to do a, a, a local radio talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, but 
sometimes 75% of our listeners are in the other 49 states, which is one of the reasons we do a national show. So, you know, I, I don't harp on Arkansas stuff, but I can't help it. They're the only two Republicans who voted in the U.S. House of Representatives for this massive, monstrous $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill who are not retiring, who are not leaving office. One of them's from Pennsylvania, the other's from Arkansas. I'm just letting you know. Now, Representative Dan Bishop, who proudly represents the 8th District of North Carolina, which stretches from uh, southeast suburban Charlotte to two-thirds away to the beach, he had a list of stuff, really bad stuff, in the bill the other day. Now he's got another list. He says the FBI is getting a new $375 million headquarters, final location to be determined. Look for that to be a fight next Congress. He said retiring Senator Richard Shelby, Alabama, already has several buildings named after him. Uh, This omnibus bill adds an FBI training center to the list named after Richard Shelby. In addition to a federal building, Nancy Pelosi also gets a fellowship program for Foreign Service named after her. The bill creates a pandemic czar, adding to our already bloated bureaucracy and giving the government even more avenues to stifle civil liberties in the name of public health. Yeah. Also, the EPA gets $10.1 billion, an increase of $575 million above fiscal year 2022. It includes $108 million for environmental justice activities. Now, see, I thought some of these Republican senators were actually conservative. No, I knew some of them weren't, but I thought some of them were. Anyway, Representative Dan Bishop says the bill also allocates $900 million for land acquisition and related programs. Okay, wait, doesn't the federal government already own enough land? I mean, they own most of the land in the Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Oregon, Idaho area. I'm look at the map. Federal government owns most of the land in Alaska. It's a really big state. Omnibus bill also includes $166 million for neighborhood reinvestment activities. $4 million for shared equity housing models, the latter of which appears to be an idea from the World Economic Forum. The Pentagon will get $8.6 million for gender advisor programs. Make it that what you will, but I guess it means advising you on what gender they think you should be. See, more earmarks, $6 million for Clemson University, $982,000 for motel vouchers in L.A., $817,000 for partnerships with justice-involved individuals in Glendale, California. $2 million for improving coordination in the New York City Mayor's Office. Joe Biden requested $37 billion for Ukraine. The bill allocates $47 billion, bringing the total aid to Ukraine already since the war started of over $100 billion. 
Zelensky. Of course, once more on top of all that. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi is comparing Zelensky to Churchill and says that democracy is on the line. Salmon is the new pork. Five million for salmon reintroduction. One million to protect salmon from toxic chemicals. 750000 for Oregon salmon conservation. Diversity action plan requirements for FDA studies. Oh, that's great. $1.74 billion for U.S. aid operations. $2.1 billion total for the agency. This includes millions in diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, DEI. The omnibus summaries put out by the Democrats tout DEI programs in nearly every single corner of the bill. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm telling you, they're trying to destroy this country. And every senator and every representative who voted for it should be ashamed of himself, should resign in disgrace. Various democracy programs, including in Nicaragua, $15 million, and Venezuela, $50 million. What do you want to make a bet the, uh, the money there goes to the head honchos over the government? And... They used to buy better lunches for themselves. $27.64 million goes to the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. $17.74 million for repairs in the Kennedy Center. $1.3 million for a recommendation for alcohol in the 2025 dietary guidelines. Oh, okay. So, there are three Republican senators who actually did not vote for or against the bill. Senators Barrasso, Wyoming, Richard Burr, North Carolina, who's retiring, Kevin Kramer, North Dakota. But all Democrat senators were present and voted for the bill. The omnibus contains over $15 billion in earmarks. That's nearly 700 extra pages with over 7,000 total earmarks from both parties. In the House GOP conference, Meeting in November, 158 Republican representatives voted for earmarks. So now, 14 Republican senators voted against an amendment from Senator Johnson, Ron Johnson, that would have stripped earmarks from the omnibus. Washington's spending addiction is a bipartisan problem. He says the omnibus bill spends over $6 billion per day, over $250 million per hour, over $4 million per minute, until September 30th when we start the process all over again. And uh, he says, all the provisions listed in this thread and more will now be signed into law. This sham process is a bipartisan betrayal of Americans. You know, I expected the Democrats to vote for it. All right? There was one... Democrat that didn't vote for it, that's AOC. But I expected the Democrats to vote for it. Oh, by the way, um, we talked about the CIA a little bit earlier. Came across this article from BuzzFeed, buzzfeednews.com from December 1st, 2021. Secret CIA files say staffers committed sex crimes involving children. Subhead line, D. 
Declassified CIA Inspector General reports show a pattern of abuse and a repeated decision by federal prosecutors not to hold agency personnel accountable. What? Over the past 14 years, the CIA has secretly amassed credible evidence that at least 10 of its employees and contractors committed sexual crimes involving children. Though most of those cases were referred to U.S. attorneys for prosecution, only one of the individuals was ever charged with a crime. Prosecutors sent the rest of the cases back to the CIA to handle internally, meaning few of these people faced any consequences beyond the possible loss of their jobs and security clearances. Possible. That marks a striking deviation from how sex crimes involving children have been handled at other federal agencies such as Homeland Security and the DEA. CIA insiders say the agency resists prosecution of its staff for fear the cases will reveal state secrets. Yeah, that's a a handy alibi, isn't it? The revelations are contained in hundreds of internal agency reports obtained by BuzzFeed News through the Freedom of Information Act lawsuits. One employee, oh man, this is awful, If you don't want to hear details about the sexual abuse of children by CIA employees, now's the time to stop listening. I'm just letting you know. One employee had sexual contact with a two-year-old and a six-year-old. He was fired. A second employee purchased three sexually explicit videos of young girls filmed by their mothers. He resigned. A third employee estimated that he had viewed up to 1,400 sexually abusive images of children while on agency assignments. Wait a minute. While he's on the clock? The records do not say what action, if any, the CIA took against him. A contractor who arranged for sex with an undercover FBI agent posing as a child had his contract revoked. Only one of the individuals cited in these documents was charged with a crime. In that case, as in the only previously known case of a CIA staffer being charged with child sexual crimes, the employee was also under investigation for mishandling classified material. The CIA did not answer detailed questions, saying only that the agency takes all allegations of possible criminal misconduct committed by personnel seriously. Spokesperson for the Eastern District of Virginia, where many of the criminal referrals were sent, also did not answer detailed questions saying the district takes seriously its responsibility to hold accountable federal government employees who violate federal law within our jurisdiction. Four former officials who are familiar with how internal investigations work at intelligence agencies told BuzzFeed News there are many reasons that prosecutors might not pursue a criminal case. One of them, familiar with the workings of the CIA's Office of the Inspector General, said the agency is concerned that in a criminal case, It could lose control of sensitive information. The former official who reviewed the declassified Inspector General reports characterized the concern from CIA lawyers as, quote, we can't have these people testify. They may inadvertently be forced to disclose sources and methods, unquote. The official who noted the agency has had a problem with child abuse images stretching back for decades. Sounds like you're hiring the wrong kind of people. Said they understand 
the need to protect sensitive and classified equities. However, for crimes of a certain class, whether it's an intelligence agency or not, you just have to figure out how to prosecute these people. Right. Exactly. Anyway, it goes on and on and on, but I just thought I should let you know. Good old CIA there. Not prosecuted. Not prosecuted. That's messed up. That's messed up. Catherine Harridge, CBS News, had a guest on recently, a guy named uh, Matthew Kronig. He is the professor of government and foreign service at Georgetown University and acting director, Scowcroft Center for Strategy and Security, the Atlantic Council. Well, that would have been named after former General Brent Scowcroft. I think he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs when Tiananmen Square happened, China. Anyway, so um, Catherine Harrod, CBS investigative reporter, is asking this guy, Matthew Kronig, about the war in Ukraine and how he thinks it's going, how he thinks it's going to go. This year, the war in Ukraine tested NATO's power and U.S. intelligence assessed China increasingly as a near-peer competitor challenging the U.S. on multiple fronts. Matthew Kranig is a professor at Georgetown University's Department of Government and School of Foreign Service, and he's a new piece in foreign policy that looks at the prospects for peace in 2023. Let's just look back first, though, to 2022. What was the watershed moment? Okay, so that is her question for Matthew Kranig at Georgetown and his answer. Well, without a doubt, it was the war in Ukraine, Putin's war against Ukraine. You know, a year ago, I think people thought it was essentially impossible that we'd see a major war in Europe. And, and here we are, the biggest war in Europe since World War II. Uh, the Western reaction, I think, was uh, surprising as well. Uh, Germany vastly increasing defense spending, Finland and Sweden uh, on pace to join NATO. I don't think anybody predicted that a year ago. So let's take that a step further. What's the outlook for peace in 2023? Well, you know, Early on in the war in Ukraine, I think people thought this would be over quickly. Maybe Putin would quickly take Kiev. Maybe um, this summer with the counteroffensive that, that Ukraine could win. Now my, my prediction is that we're in for years uh, of war. It's unlikely that this is going to be resolved in 2023. Okay, years. I, I mean, one year, two years, three years, even even five years. That protracted. I, I'd guess I'd guess three to five years three before five we have a real well. resolution. So uh, we got to buckle up for the for the long haul. Okay, so a guy that I follow on Twitter who doesn't go by his real name, but he's got some interesting things to say. He says, Georgetown basically staffs the State Department, the Foreign Service, and the Diplomatic Corps. The ones who decided, you know, to get rid of Muammar Gaddafi. uh, The ones who decided to ignore the Green Revolution in Iran right after Obama took office for 13 days. The whole country was protesting. And, and, and saying, where are you, Obama? Are you for us or against us? And Obama refused to say anything. Just so you know who's running the show. So there's a reason that the top investigative reporter from CBS is investigating a professor from Georgetown. Just so you know who's running the show. All right, now, having said that, 
a Christmas message from Mitch McConnell. He says, uh, continuing our support for Ukraine is morally right, but it's not only that, it's also a direct investment in cold, hard American interests. Well, like your bank, Cal Pal? Hmm? Through FTX? Money laundering? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Senator Mike Lee, who tried to stop the omnibus bill, he went on Twitter on December 23rd. He said 18 Senate Republicans voted Thursday for the ugliest spending bill on record. As Republicans scratched their head over their disappointing midterm elections, which happened in early November, they might consider that voters don't see much of a defining difference between Republicans and Democrats. He said, Kimberly Strassel at the Wall Street Journal is absolutely right about Senate Republicans. This may be the best summation I've seen, not just of the omnibus problem, but also of Senate Republicans' lackluster performance in the midterms. So let's take a look at her op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, since Mike Lee, stand-up guy, is recommending it. Kimberly Strassel, Wall Street Journal, op-ed entitled, The Back End of an Omnibus. Subtitle GOP complicity with a spending blowout is one reason it is still in the Senate minority. And she says, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said this week he was pretty proud of the $1.8 trillion plus omnibus the Senate passed Thursday since the GOP was able to, quote, achieve essentially all of our priorities, unquote. That America... It's why Republicans are in the Senate minority and why they arguably deserve to stay there. Never has Washington contemplated such a monstrosity. If a satirist set out to describe a once admirable institution in decline, its members cheerfully passing off their laziness, secrecy, cowardliness, and graft as success, it would be hard to compete with this week's show in the U.S. Senate. The omnibus is everything that is broken in Washington, D.C., dumped into one steaming pile. Congress has this omnibus only because Democrats wasted the year chasing Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda, while Republicans helped waste more with semiconductor payouts and other unnecessary legislation. The Senate couldn't rouse itself to pass a single one of its 12 annual spending bills. Pretty much the only deadline Congress hit this year was a cutoff for submitting thousands of earmark requests for home state pork. Priorities, priorities. A handful of powerful leaders took advantage of this dilatory behavior by using it as an excuse to disappear at the last minute into a smoke-filled room and conjure up a top-line number for funding with no votes, no debate. Other leaders then disappeared to write the bill in secret, 4,155 pages of it. It was unveiled in the dead of Monday night with initial plans for Wednesday passage, the better to ensure nobody would know what's in it or what's attached to it. Past omnibus bills at least confine themselves to funding everything under the sun, 
especially monuments to super-appropriators like Alabama Republican Senator Richard Shelby. This omnibus has also become a vehicle for legislation Congress wanted to pass this year but didn't. And these are not small changes. An overhaul of retirement savings rules, cosmetics regulation, Electoral Count Act reform, major changes to health care. For all we know, there may be a provision creating 12 new cabinet positions. We'll find out next year when someone has time to read it. Want to know if your senator approves of authorizing the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, to micromanage your mascara? Or killing off drift net fishing operations? Or letting athletes... At service academies, get a waiver to play professional sports? Good luck. Members of both parties will say they voted for this turkey solely to avoid a government shutdown, and they will duck questions on the other major changes. Lucky them. Zero accountability. Only this isn't luck. It's by design. Senate Republicans spent this week telling the public there were only two options. Sign off on earmarks. Bad policy and Democrat demands for huge increases in domestic spending on top of $4.5 trillion in the past two years or lose a 10% increase in defense dollars. Only two options. Well, we can add dishonesty to the list of transgressions. The GOP could have insisted on zero domestic increases and dared Democrats to own a shutdown and the loss of military readiness. But who wants a spending fight when we can simply spend? That's a central problem for Republicans, even if they don't want to admit it. They haven't shown a whiff of interest in fiscal restraint since the early days of Paul Ryan's tenure as House Speaker. Their majorities broke the bank during the Trump administration, enabling Democrats to point to deficits as reason to resist further tax reform. They held hands with the left to partake in five COVID bailouts in 2020 alone. They joined again to pass Biden's infrastructure bill and the semiconductor slush fund. Members of the new supposedly responsible Republican House majority weeks ago voted to keep the earmark gravy flowing. Voters in 2010 put Republicans in charge of the House to serve as a break on the Obama administration. Next year's House majority is no guarantee of a repeat. Democrats have figured out that the bait for bipartisanship is the promise of dollars, and today's Republican Party bites every time. I heard the guys in the morning show, Fox and Friends, say the other day that voters want bipartisanship. I mean, they must be ordered to say that, right? 18 Senate Republicans voted Thursday for the ugliest least transparent spending bill on record. As Republicans scratch their heads over their disappointing midterm, they might consider that voters don't see much of a defining difference between them and Democrats. The real scandal of the holdouts to House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy's bid for speaker is that they are stomping on an important message. A far bigger and more serious group of House conservatives are appalled by the practices that lead to omnibus bills. And they want changes to require the House to return to regular order, committees, 
votes, amendments, debates. This would return a focus on fiscal discipline with members, again, subject to transparency and accountability. But Representative Andy Biggs and Matt Gates are more interested in grandstanding than actual victory. The battle helps Republican House porksters ignore substantive demands by casting the race for Speaker as a fight over personalities. It enabled Senate Republicans to justify their mess of an omnibus bill on the grounds that House Republicans can't be trusted to do better. Right now, neither chamber can. Your government at work, that is Kim Strassel over at uh, Wall Street Journal. I don't know why she says Andy Biggs and Matt Gates are more interested in grandstanding than actual victory, because she doesn't say, but that's part of the op-ed that Mike Lee recommended. And Mike Lee continues, he says, um, oh, just a couple of quotes from the article. So that's it. That's it. And it is an outrage. It is an outrage. So we got a lot more about Ukraine. Julie Kelly has a new article out. I got to share that with you. But can I tell you? Why Andy Biggs says he didn't vote for the omnibus? Here he is. I don't think this is grandstanding. Hi, Andy Biggs here from Arizona's 5th Congressional District. I'm going to explain to you why I'll be voting no on the omnibus bill that's been put together by Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Um, it's this massive, massive spending bill. Ms. McConnell has acceded to it along with a, a good number of Republicans in the Senate. It's something that should have never been allowed to see the light of day. It's a 4,000-page bill. It was released in the middle of the night on Tuesday, and both the House and Senate are expected to pass it this week. There's no way a person could read and understand everything that's in the bill before it, because even though it's 4,000 pages, it's filled with references to other laws and statutes, so just you're going to spend a lot of time cross-referencing as well. So it's a massive bill that's going to be hard to get through. We're trying real hard. We're working with some of our colleagues to try to get through. But that's exactly, by the way, what um, the people who sponsored this bill want and the reason that they run the process like this. They don't want people to get a full picture of what's going on in a bill like this one. They don't want the American public to see it. They don't want media to be able to report on it because they're afraid if they did and people knew the truth, a bill that's as bad as this just simply wouldn't pass. The bill will spend nearly... Two trillion dollars that we simply do not have. We still, we, we still don't have it. It's going to increase the, the structural deficit. That is, um, we will bring in less in revenue than we than we spend, and that will cause the national debt to increase as well. Uh, and when you have ex- excessive government spending like that, uh, it produces inflationary pressures. In fact, that's a significant reason why we have the inflation we have today. And this bill is going to exacerbate that problem. In addition to the usual bad items, uh, we're going to list, I'm going to list some of these others in here. This bill contains thousands of earmarks um, that supposedly, uh, reportedly, we haven't been able to calculate because we're still working our way through it, uh, exceeds $16 billion. 
That's just for the earmarks. And earmarks are where the member says, gee, I want, I want a special thing in my district. So here's some of those, those types of things. We're not sure if these are earmarks or just in the bill. $3 million for a bee-friendly highway. Get that bee-friendly highway. Uh, like, like the little bees. We don't want the bees to be harmed by our highways. So we have about $3 million for bee-friendly highways. $3.6 million for the Michelle Obama Trail in Georgia. The Michelle Obama Trail in Georgia. $3 million for the LGBTQ Plus Museum in New York City. $1.2 million for the San Diego Community College District for Student Support Services for Illegal Aliens, DACA recipients. $1.4 billion for membership in global multilateral organizations, including the UN. $286 million in Title X funding going to abortion providers. $47 million for Ukraine. $100,000 for Jacob's Pillow Dance Festival for arts education. Did you catch that $47 billion for Ukraine? Millions of dollars for Pride Centers and other LGBTQ plus initiatives throughout the country. And let's not forget this one. This is important. We're going to name a building, a federal building after Nancy Pelosi. I can go on and on, but you get the point. This bill has, does nothing to address the major crises that our country is facing. It will not force President Biden and Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas to secure our border and enforce the laws that we already have on the books. It will not rein in an, abu- rein in an abusive department uh, of justice or the FBI or their bureaucrats who have weaponized their agencies to attack their political opponents, nor will it reduce excessive government spending that has fueled record levels of inflation. There's nothing in here to promote um, it becoming energy independent again either, and that would be about 40% of our inflation costs. It will not reduce funding for President Biden and his radical Democrat allies' woke programs that are indoctrinating our children. And instead of supporting a bill written by Democrats, we should wait to pass legislation until January when the new Congress is sworn in. This omnibus spender will almost completely take away leverage from the Republican majority in the U.S. House commencing in January 2023. This omnibus spending bill is an indefensible assault on the American people. It is an assault on the separation of powers. It is an assault on fiscal responsibility. And I cannot support legislation that assaults our nation in so many ways, and that's why I did not support it. I'll keep you posted. I think that's uh, that's pretty strong. That's pretty strong right there. Now, we also have Chip Roy, Texas. Congressman Texas was on fire about the omnibus. And I can't help but be amused that the gentleman from Massachusetts says that we refuse to come to the table. As if the gentlelady who will soon be the chairwoman of appropriations, Ms. Granger, my colleague from Texas, doesn't want to sit at the table with colleagues on either side of the aisle to come to consensus about how to spend taxpayer dollars, or better stated, how to borrow money we don't have. As if that's actually true. What table is the gentleman referring to? What table does he want us to come sit down and negotiate? It's not this table. I don't have the power to offer an amendment on the floor of the House of Representatives, despite being elected by 750,000 Texans. I don't have the ability or the right to be able to stand up for them and have a debate on the floor of this chamber. 
everything the American people is watching right now is a complete sham. It's a fraud. A fraud being perpetrated on the American people right before their eyes, right as we head into Christmas, sitting here on the 23rd of December, when 240, what, six years ago, those boys crossed the Delaware. We were dealing with Valley Forge or the boys in 1944 sitting in foxholes in Bastogne over Christmas. And we had 18 Republicans who joined with Democrats in the Senate get on their fancy planes and go home. And we're sitting here trying to do the work of the people. Not spend money we don't have. Not drive up more inflation. Not have 7,500 earmarks for $16 billion for pet leftist projects across this country. What you see here on the floor of the House of Representatives should make everybody ashamed. The People's House. Not one amendment has been offered on the floor of this body since May of 2016 in open debate. The gentleman from Massachusetts dares to impugn the character of the appropriations chairwoman Kay Granger and those Republicans he says won't sit at the table. When in fact, what you see here is a 4,100-page bill cooked up by a handful of people behind closed doors, brought before the Rules Committee with no ability to offer an amendment, no ability to debate, no actual discussion on the people's House floor. And my colleagues on the other side of the aisle know it. And we're spending money we don't have. Go home and sell your projects. Go home and talk about all the pork you're bringing home. But you're destroying the United States of America. Absolutely destroying this body. The American people did not send us here to do that. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle know that. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle know full well that this body is broken. But do not care. $45 billion to Ukraine. Have we had a full debate on Ukraine? Or did we take $45 billion of funding for Ukraine, package it on a $1.7 trillion bill, invite the president of Ukraine to address this body for theatrics heading out for Christmas in order to jam through a big spending Democrat priority bill? that the American people resoundingly rejected in November. For 70 years, this body, when we've had a transfer of power in the Senate, we have not done this in a lame duck. Yet that's what my Democrat colleagues are doing. There are consequences to this. You can't go out and talk about inflation and talk about what the American people are feeling right now when they're trying to fill up their tanks with gas, they're trying to have presents for their families, they're trying to pay their bills, and then come here and dump hundreds of billions of dollars into the economy while the Fed's raising interest rates and people can't afford to buy homes and they can't live, and say you're doing the people's work. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle, night before last, were apoplectic that Mike Lee was daring to challenge the idea that we should have a bill that literally prohibits Border Patrol from securing the border. He wanted to try to fix that, try to extend Title 42. My Democrat colleagues rejected it, and I sat here on the floor, and they were more concerned about catching their flights for Christmas, coming to me and saying, we can't be here over Christmas. Well, why the hell not? The American people deserve us to be here over Christmas actually fighting for them instead of trying to catch planes while half this body are going to vote by proxy.
half his body's not even going to be here. And they're lying. They're lying on forms saying that they're voting by proxy for COVID. And it's a lie. And half this body's going to do it. You know it. And it's destroying this country. I'm not going to just sit here and roll over on this. This is going to continue. The American people are going to know precisely what's happening to them by the people's house. I yield back. Guy's not happy. And uh, good on him. Good on Chip Roy for standing up and saying, look, this is wrong. Uh, I, I just, I'm flabbergasted. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be, but I am. Julie Kelly has an article out at... Uh, American Greatness, amgreatness.com. It's called Traitors. And she says, a picture they say is worth a thousand words, but there are only a few profane words to describe the obscene scene as the two women closest in line for the presidency hoisted the Ukrainian flag from the, from the dais of the House of Representatives while swooning of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky as Congress cheered on December 21st. This appears to be the first time in history the flag of another nation essentially flew inside the U.S. Capitol building. You want to talk about an insurrection? That was my, I digress. That sounds like an insurrection to me. Julie Kelly's article continues with a quote from Zelensky who said, They asked me to bring this flag to you, to the U.S. Congress, to members of the House of Representatives and senators whose decisions can save millions of people. He said that before handing the flag to Speaker Pelosi and Vice President Kamala Harris. He said, this flag is a symbol of our victory in this war. Julie Kelly says, but even more telling, sickening, was the image in the same photo of a House staffer wearing a black face mask standing silently, eyes cast downward, behind a trifolded American flag in a shadow box as a celebration ensued. The unintentional contrast said it all. Our once thriving and free country is slowly dying at the hands of frauds, crooks, and cowards. And they're not even trying to hide it from us. They're flaunting it. After two decades of gradually amassing power and control under the ruse of national security, the ruling class is exercising that power in a ruthless way. Zelensky's address to a joint session of Congress, his second this year, symbolizes how the regime is actively working against the interests of the American people. While Americans struggle to pay for gas, Zelensky traveled to Washington and a U.S. Air Force plane accompanied by an F-15 fighter jet. Government officials literally rolled out the red carpet for Zelensky when he landed before he enjoyed a full-blown motorcade to the White House. As Zelensky entered the House chambers Wednesday night, his lapdog benefactors in Congress rose to their feet, wildly, wildly applauding and reaching out to touch him, mouths agape, as if a rock star was in their presence. But real groupies actually have more dignity. 
It was a disgusting display all around. Zelensky, always in character, couldn't even manage to wear a proper suit. His attire, of course, didn't matter as long as his costume had lots of pockets. Zelensky is set to receive $47 billion more in U.S. tax dollars when those same slobbering lawmakers pass a $1.7 trillion government spending bill bringing Zelensky's total grab to over $100 billion and counting. The omnibus package itself is one insult after another to the American people. As Representative Dan Bishop, Republican North Carolina, detailed in a December 20th tweet thread, generous funding to secure the borders of other countries is included in the bill with little more than crumbs to protect our southern border now dangerously wide open to human smugglers and drug runners. Billions more will be sent to promote gender equity, fight structural racism, expand access to abortion, and construct buildings and parks named after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, retiring Senator Richard Shelby. Oh, there's a typo. Alabama, not Arkansas and former First Lady Michelle Obama, among others, perhaps the most outrageous provision in the bill. is a hefty budget hike for the Department of Justice. Attorney General Merrick Garland, who spends the majority of his time and resources targeting Donald Trump, his associates, and his supporters, will receive a nearly 10% raise next year, bringing the Justice Department's annual budget to $38.7 billion with a B. More than $212 million is earmarked to hire almost 100 temporary government lawyers to help prosecute January 6 protesters, a caseload now nearing 1,000 Americans with promises to add another 1,000 more. The FBI will get $569 million more next year as that agency's budget exceeds $11 billion for the first time ever. Garland and FBI Director Christopher Wray have made it clear by word and deed that the imaginary threat of domestic violent extremists, in other words, those who dare to criticize the regime, will remain their top priority. This means more pre-dawn FBI raids of capital trespassers, more indefinite incarceration for those awaiting trial, more prison sentences for nonviolent offenses, more misery, and more destruction of constitutional rights. And that's just fine with the overwhelming majority of Republicans in Washington who have been silent in the face of this unprecedented form of government retaliation against Trump supporters. In fact, outgoing Senator Roy Roy Blunt of Missouri explained that the Justice Department really needed the big funding boost. I've always been for prosecuting anybody who violated the law on January 6th, Blunt told NBC News this week, and there are like 800 cases already, so I can't imagine they don't need some extra money. Good riddance, you clown. The FBI, particularly in light of recent revelations of the Bureau's collusion with big tech to suppress coverage, of Hunter Biden's laptop and criticism of mail-in voting should be dismantled and defunded, not rewarded for its interference in two presidential elections, among other malfeasance. 
nor should the agency receive $375 million in capital funding to build a shiny new headquarters in either Virginia or Maryland, as the bill also provides. But that didn't stop 18 Republican senators, including McConnell and two-time presidential loser Mitt Romney, from voting to pass the omnibus bill on Thursday. Another yes vote was from Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, the former chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, who promised four years ago, who's promised for years to get to the bottom of numerous Justice Department scandals. No group of politicians has licked the boots of President Zelensky more than Republican senators. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is among Zelensky's biggest supporters, insisting this week that providing assistance for Ukrainians to defeat the Russians is the number one priority for the United States right now, according to most Republicans. That's how we see the challenges confronting the country at the moment. That's a direct quote from McConnell. Julie Kelly says, and there you have it. One of the most pop, one of the most powerful, albeit most unpopular, leaders in Washington thinks lining Zelensky's army green pockets with more U.S. tax dollars is a greater need than tackling any number of ongoing crises rolling or roiling the country right now. In the last bit of symbolism, Wednesday night, Zelensky exited the House chambers carrying the case holding the folded American flag, a two-bit actor, an international con man, walked out with billions of American dollars and a cherished token of America's sacrifice and in the real fight for freedom, justice, and security. And the fiends in the hall systematically destroying that legacy for the people they are elected to represent cheered again. Traitors. That's what they are. That's Julie Kelly over at amgreatness.com. I try to share with you the stuff you're not going to get anywhere else. Kanakoa the Great over on Twitter has 111,000 followers. He's got a thread on Ukraine. He said 40 Democrats, and he's got the goods. He links to the evidence here. 40 Democrats labeled Ukraine's Azov Battalion a terrorist organization in 2019. They compared them to ISIS and blamed them for radicalizing the shooter at Christchurch, New, New Zealand, who killed all those people. But the same 40 Democrats in the U.S. House, three years later, voted to send billions in weapons to Ukraine's Azov Battalion after saying their terrorist organization in 2019. Can you imagine this? Here's a quote. Here's a quote. The Azov Battalion is a well-known ultra-nationalist militia organization in Ukraine that openly welcomes neo-Nazis into its ranks. The UN has chronicled human rights abuses and incidents of torture in this group's relatively short history. The Christchurch New Zealand shooter claimed he had trained with the Azov Battalion in Ukraine and he routinely wore a neo-Nazi symbol associated with the Azov Battalion from Ukraine. The link between Azov and acts of terror in America is clear. But they continue. The Azov Battalion was founded by Andriy Beletsky, an avowed white supremacist who once said Ukraine's national purpose was to lead the white races of the world in a final crusade against Semite-led untermenschen. In other words, 
That's a word for subhuman. Oof. Hitler used that term for the Jews. And um, they got a link to an article from The Guardian from, I guess, 2018. Ukraine's national militia says, we're not neo-Nazis. We just want to make our country better. Oh, but they are. So The Guardian had a photo of the Azov Battalion, a regiment of the National Guard of Ukraine, with a NATO flag, an Azov flag, and a Nazi flag. The emblem of the Azov Battalion contains the Nazi Black Sun and the Wolfsangle symbol used by the Nazi Waffen-SS. Ukraine's neo-Nazi Azov Battalion holds up a photograph of Adolf Hitler. A NATO instructor teaches Azov Battalion members how to use newly delivered grenade launchers paid for by American taxpayers. A 2016 report from the OSCE found the Azov Battalion responsible for mass executions, torture, and rape of civilians and prisoners. The corporate media only covers one side of the story, but both sides are guilty of war crimes. That's right, Russia and Ukraine. Today's war in Ukraine cannot be understood without first understanding the U.S. government's role in Ukraine's 2014 Maidan coup. In 2013, Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych rejected a $17 billion international monetary fund loan and an association agreement with the European Union. In response, John McCain and Victoria Nuland, she was the Assistant Secretary of State, under Obama, worked with neo-Nazis like the leader of Svoboda, Ole Tsjanibok, to escalate the violence and overthrow Yanukovych. CNN said a 2012 European Parliament resolution condemned the main, but by no means most extreme, ultra-right party Svoboda as racist, anti-Semitic, and xenophobic. Every January 1st, Svoboda which was called the Social National Party until 2004, marches through the streets of Ukraine holding torches to honor the birth of Nazi collaborator Stefan Bandera. In 2013, Senator John McCain appeared on stage in Maidan Square where he stood shoulder to shoulder with Svoboda leader Ole Chagnabak and protested the elected government of Ukraine. Victoria Newland was caught on a leaked phone call planning Ukraine's new government. Oh, it looks like Tony Bobolinsky talking to Oliver Stone. Good grief. Ukraine is a divided nation, and many of the protesters were organic. However, Western non-governmental organizations, NGOs, such as National Endowment for Democracy, an infamous CIA cutout also funded, trained, and bust in activists, journalists, and protesters to fan the flames. The violence escalated with protesters using bats, metal bars, and bulldozers to attack the government. On February 20th, unidentified snipers fired into the crowds. That's February 20th, 2014, killing people on all sides in an event known as the Maidan Massacre. The Maidan Massacre trial and investigation produced overwhelming evidence that Maidan 
Protesters were massacred by snipers and Maidan-controlled buildings rather than by government snipers. Nevertheless, armed mobs took over the Ukrainian government, leading to the Russian annexation of Crimea and the civil war in Donbass, killing an estimated 14,000 people since 2014. The newly formed government accepted the loan from the International Monetary Fund. If you want to truly understand how corrupt this foreign aid is, he says, here's another one of my articles on how the Ukrainian billionaire oligarch Igor Kolomoisky funded Hunter Biden, Volodymyr Zelensky, and the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion. Many people don't know that the shelling in the Donbass region of Ukraine increased nine days before Russia invaded Ukraine. If the first casualty of war is truth, then it should follow that the first battle between Russia and Ukraine was also one with lies. A diplomatic solution with Russia might have invoked something as simple as demilitarizing the Donbass region and a signed treaty promising Ukraine would never join NATO. But the U.S. political establishment wanted this proxy war with nuclear-armed Russia, so they created the proxy war with nuclear-armed Russia. The same discredited neoconservative and neoliberal establishment that lied about Iraq, lied about Afghanistan, lied about Libya, are now lying about Russia and Ukraine. Every modern American war has turned stable countries into hotbeds of chaos, corruption, and death. Support the innocent people of Ukraine and Russia. But do not support the corrupt governments that created this bloodshed. Do not support the military-industrial complex, the war propaganda machine, and the useful idiots lobbying for World War III. This isn't a story of good versus evil. It's a story of corrupt governments ruthlessly fighting for competing self-interest while ordinary citizens suffer the consequences. The world should be calling for peace and diplomacy. And then he says, Twitter banned me for the last two years. So retweet this message if it resonates with you. And join the 50,000 subscribers who read my newsletter over at substack.com. It's a Kanakoa. It's like K-A-N-E-K-O-A. So like Kane and then the um, KOA, I guess you remember that, Campgrounds of America, right? Anyway, I'm pretty sure I retweeted it. Just felt like I needed to share that with you. Okay, um, we've got um, we got some news about COVID. Died suddenly. ABC News producer Dax Tahera, dead at age thirty-seven. Producer for this week on ABC, died of a heart attack at thirty-seven years old Friday evening. Executive producer of ABC's Sunday Show this week with George Stephanopoulos. Dax Tahera had already put together an impressive career for, for someone of his young age. Condolences poured in from the media world and the ABC News family. Tahera left behind a wife and two daughters. I don't know. Does, 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 does ABC have a, a mandatory vaccine requirement like uh, Cumulus Media? People that fired me have? I've seen indications there's a lawsuit over it, so maybe they do. I hope nobody drops dead from the vaccine, none of my former co-workers, almost all of whom got vaccinated. I hope not. 
There's so much more. There's so much more. And I certainly hope that um, you'll check out Monday's episode 310. But in the meantime, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And it's brought to you by Red River Your Way. RedRiverYourWay.com. Big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. And um, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. The tweet of the day is a two-parter from Vody Bauckham Jr., one of my favorite speakers. Actually, um, someone who goes by Biblical Joy on Twitter has one part. And um, it's a quote from Vody Bauckham Jr., and it says, What's not loving is to look someone in the eye when God says they are in jeopardy of an, of an eternity in hell and merely wink and nod at their sin because you are afraid of being called names. Speak the truth, saints. And then the second part is audio from Vody Bauckham Jr. explaining why Christmas is important. Jesus is not just a baby in a manger. The baby's in the manger for a purpose. And the baby's in the manger because we are all guilty and alienated from God. And the baby's in the manger because it is only through the baby in the manger who grows up, lives a perfect life, dies a substitutionary atoning death on the cross, raises again on the third day, ascends to the right hand of the Father where he ever makes intercession for us. It is only through that that we can actually become sons and daughters of God. Wow. That's amazing. Got it? I try to uh, give you the truth. In ways that I hope make the Doc Washer show unique. I can't wait to do the next one. All right, you have been listening to episode 309 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program is produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth. And that's the way it is, Sunday, December 25th, Christmas Day, 2022.